Good morning, everyone. Thank you for that. We're glad you're here. If you're new, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in the middle of a series called Hello, My Name Is. It's all about relationships and connecting with each other. Um, but if you are new here, want to just give you a, a taste of, of where you're going for the rest of the year. If you're going to stay with us after this series, we have one more series before it's time to start our Christmas series, which is amazing to me to think about that. How many of you are ready for that? Like Christmas, bring on the cold, let's, let's do it. How many of you are like, no, just a little more summer, please? That's where I'm at. I can't believe it. This morning I met somebody that said they, they just helped somebody move down here from Iowa to, to get away from the Iowa winter. And I'm like, all right, that's good. That's an improvement. Uh, but <laughs> it's still going to be cold. I'm not ready for that yet. I am enjoying kind of getting back into the rhythm of life together and, and the, the rhythm of school and all of that. You know, it just sort of kind of governs our lives, a lot of that. And so um, this is a great chance for us to go through this series about relationships and connecting with each other. But after this, our next series is going to be on the Beatitudes. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount talks about um, people who are happy. And he said, happy are the people who mourn and happy are the people who are poor of spirit and happy are the people who are humble and those aren't the people that we usually think of as being happy and so the title of the series is called the art of being unordinary so that's coming up next and then after that it's time for Christmas and we've got a Christmas series planned called a thrill of hope and so that's kind of what you're looking at for the rest of the year here so we hope that you'll be here as often as you can to go through those with us this series hello my name is started last week talking about relationships. And really our goal here is to talk about relationships with each other. That's the, the bulk of the series, is our relationships with each other inside the church. But we didn't want to get into that without first talking about the most important relationship we have, which is our relationship with God. And that's what we talked about last week. So we're saying that the church revolves around three primary relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with the world, which is the word the Bible uses to refer to people who are not part of the church. So last week, we saw that what God wants from us most is not religious ritual or tradition. What he wants from us is a close, intimate, personal relationship. The kind of relationship you have with a really good friend. The kind of friend that you can tell anything, that you can share anything with, that you can go to when you need help with something. The kind of friend who will do anything for you. That's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. After all, he did everything he could for us, giving his life for us so that we can have this relationship with him. And so that's what God really wants for us. 
And if you didn't get a chance to watch that message last week, I'd really encourage you to go back and see that. It's on our website or on our Facebook page. You can go back and watch all of our previous messages. That's really foundational for what we're going to talk about today and the rest of this series. So if you did not watch that, I'd really encourage you to go back and see that. What God wants from us is a close, personal relationship. But not all of us treat him that way. Well, today we're going to move into that second relationship, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time in this series talking about our relationships with each other, relationships within the church. Now, the early church leaders, the writers of the New Testament, cared very much about how people in the churches were treating each other. They wrote a lot of stuff in their letters to the churches about how we should treat one another, and so that's filled with, that's, the New Testament is filled with information about that. Jesus also cared very much about how his followers treated each other. And sometimes, we were talking about this in between the services with some people, sometimes we as the church treat outsiders really, really well, and people inside the church we don't treat so well. And we get in disagreements and fights. It's kind of like a family thing. You treat your friends better than you treat your family. And so sometimes we get so familiar with each other, we have such high expectations for each other, that we actually treat people within the church more poorly than we treat people outside of the church. Jesus cared very much that his followers would treat each other well. Now, shortly before his death, at the Last Supper, this is his last Passover meal he's sharing with the disciples in that upper upstairs room, Jesus gave what's called the farewell discourse. That's from John 13 to John 17, where he's giving final instructions to his disciples before the events that preceded the crucifixion. It's a beautiful passage. A lot of great teaching comes from there. And we're going to focus on one aspect of that in particular, so we'll be in John 13 this morning. But to give you some context for that, Judas is the disciple who is going to betray Jesus. And at this point in the timeline, Judas has already decided to betray Jesus. Jesus, of course, knows this is going to happen. And so he turns to Judas during this supper and says to him, get on with it. Go out and do what you're going to do. And as soon as Judas leaves, Jesus starts teaching the other 11 faithful disciples. And so that's where we're going to be today. If you want to follow along with us, you can do that in John chapter 13 in your Bibles or go to efree.org slash Bible, you'll find all of the passages we're going to look at today are there, or you can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app. John chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 33 through 35, and then we're going to expand our scope to kind of look at what's before and what's after this. John chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus is speaking. He says, dear children, and this is not a derogatory term, it's just a term of endearment. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. He knows his time on earth is short. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. That's very important. This is a new commandment. What is this new commandment, Jesus? What is it you want us to do? I want you to love each other. It's a new commandment to love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In other words, they should be able to see how well you love one another. Before we go any further, let's just pause for a minute and ask God to bless our time in his word this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to publicly proclaim what is in it and to study this and to learn from it. And Lord, we know that our relationship with you is critically important and you care so much about our relationship with each other. So God, help us 
to learn how we can treat each other well. Help us to learn from your example and your teaching as you taught your followers and taught them to pass on down to us and it's made its way down to us over these 2,000 years so that now we can learn how you want us to live and to, to have relationships with each other. Please give us insights this morning that will help us to do that. And in your name I pray, amen. What's new about the new commandment? Really, what's new about this? I want you to love each other. It's my new commandment for you. What is new about that? This is not the first time Jesus has said it's important to love each other. It wasn't long before this in Matthew 22, someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. So here's another commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. It sounds pretty similar. I want you to love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this wasn't even the first time that, that the Bible talks about the importance of loving other people. Jesus was actually referring back to Leviticus chapter 19, which says, don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So what on earth is new about this if all the way back in Leviticus we have commands to love each other? Here's what's new. Here's what's different. Jesus is in the restoration business. Jesus likes to take old things and make them new. It's like when you take a piece of furniture that's old and looks scuffed up and you put a bunch of chalk paint on it and now it's worth hundreds of dollars. It's something that was old, but it's been restored. It's been made new. It's fresh. It's different. And that's the kind of sense that we get with this new commandment. It's not that it wasn't based on anything prior, but it has been, shall we say, upcycled. Jesus was a commandment upcycler. He, he would take an old command like, do not commit murder. He actually said this at one point. The law says, don't murder. But I say to you, if you're even angry with someone in your heart, it's like you've committed murder. See, he raised the bar. He set a new standard for what it means to follow God. He said, the law says, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even look at a person with lust in your heart or you've committed adultery. And so he has raised the bar on what it means to follow God. And that's what this new commandment is about to love. He said, love each other, okay, just as I have loved you. Now that is raising the bar. That is a new level of love. There's something different here. The law said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. There's a big difference. We have to understand what that difference is if we are to love like Jesus, if we are to follow him. We need to know what did Jesus do that loved differently? What did he do? And that's what we're gonna get, dive into today. He's at, at this last supper. He's having this dinner with his disciples. And earlier in the chapter, in, in verse one of chapter 13, we're gonna see him give an example of the kind of love he's talking about that is different if you look back at verse one of chapter 13, here's what it says. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. That's important because what's about to follow is an example of this love. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything 
and that he had come from God and would return to God. That's important because it's establishing this idea that Jesus' position and authority is secure. He has a position of high authority and, high, and a high position. He is over everything and above everything. And then we read this, so with all of that knowledge, with all that understanding of his position and his authority and where he's going back to and his love for the disciples, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. After washing their feet, if you jump down to verse 12, he put on his robe again, sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? See, he wanted to teach them with this. This was an object lesson from the very beginning. You call me teacher and Lord. Those are terms of authority. And you are right because that's what I am. And since I am your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. And then he says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now Jesus is not trying to implement another ritual or, or pattern like foot washing as a regular thing we're supposed to do. This was not some sort of ceremonial thing. This was a daily need that they had. This was a, a, a dirty job, something that they had to do all the time. And Jesus is using this as an example of the types of things you should be willing to do in order to serve other people. What was different about the way Jesus loved? He loved by serving he loved by serving. Now, the religious leaders in Jesus' day did not do this very well. They did not serve other people. They wanted to be served. That was, that was what they did. They, they had servants. They had mansions. They, they all wanted, we know this from excavations. They had incredible mansions and lots of servants. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were not examples of loving by serving, but that's what Jesus wanted them to do. There's a really simple example I saw this week. We were at a a meeting that lasted almost the entire day. There was a group of people in the room. Some were staff, some were volunteers, some were elders. And we got to lunchtime. And as people were finishing their food and their, their plates and things were left around, a lot of trash left on the table, and it was about time to get back to the meeting, one of the elders just got up and just started taking people's trash away. And I, in the middle of studying for this that, that morning, and it just made me think what a perfect example of loving and serving like Jesus. Didn't have to do that. There was no reason he should be the one to go around collecting all of these things, and yet he did. He just got up and he started serving. That's the kind of love that we're talking about here. You would not find the priests or the scribes serving that way in Jesus' time. They wanted to be served. In fact, one of Jesus' criticisms of the priests in that day was that they wore special clothing so that when they walked in the room, you knew who they were so that you would give them special treatment. That was one of the things that they loved to do. They liked their special clothing so that you would treat them specially. So imagine being one of Jesus' disciples and you're sitting down for dinner and you look over at Jesus and everybody's kind of talking amongst themselves and Jesus is probably sitting there reflecting. After all, John says he knew that his time was short and he knew that he had authority and he knew that he was returning to the Father. He knew all these things. I think he was reflecting in that moment just how his, his time was coming near to an end on earth. And as you're watching that as one of the disciples, he gets up he grabs a towel, ties it around his waist, takes a bowl, pours some water in it, and just gets down on the floor next to somebody's feet. And he just starts washing their feet. Now the thing you have to understand about this 
is that it would not be the same if we were to do foot washing today. All of you, I assume, came here with reasonably clean feet. Most likely. We're not going to test that theory, but that's probably the case. Back in this day, you didn't walk around with shoes and socks on. You walked around in sandals on dirt paths. And your feet got sweaty because it was hot. And so sweat and dirt and mud and clay all kind of got packed together. Can you imagine how disgusting those feet were? This was a job for the lowest of the low. This was a job that the servant would normally do. And now you are watching as Jesus is going around quietly without saying a word and just washing the disciples' feet. And there's an episode there with Peter where they have a conversation, but that's, that's really not what we're um, going to look at so much today. Jesus gets to the end of all of that, and he says, do you understand why I did that? Do you know why I did that? Because I want you to love by serving. I want you to serve each other just the way I just served you. And here's how far I want you to go with this. I want you to be willing to do the dirty, uncomfortable, awkward, disgusting stuff that you think according to your station in life you shouldn't have to do. I want you to be willing to do that for each other. I want you to be willing to get messy for each other. That's the kind of love I am showing you. That's the example that I want you to follow. Have you ever had an idea for how to help someone And then that thought popped into your head of, that would be really uncomfortable, so I'm not going to do it. Or that would be kind of messy or icky or might cause an issue, so I'm not going to do it. I think that's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about here. Be willing to get uncomfortable. Be willing to get awkward. Be willing to get into the mess, even when it stinks, to help other people. Jesus loved by serving. Now, later on that evening... During this farewell discourse in John chapter 15, Jesus gives another example of the kind of love that is different. How is his love different? In John 15 verse 11, we read this. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. So there we have it again. The same commandment again, the same structure. Love each other as I have loved you. That's the the newness of this commandment. And then he says this. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. How did Jesus love differently than other people were loving? How is this a new commandment to love? Well, it's because Jesus loved by sacrificing. And again, this is not something that the religious leaders of the day were really good at. They were not good at sacrificing for other people. In fact, one of the things Jesus rebuked them for was that they would take money from poor people who were giving offerings to the temple, but they did virtually nothing to help them. They should have been the ones helping those people, but they did nothing for them. And so they weren't sacrificing for anybody. They wanted other people to sacrifice for them. But we're supposed to be like Jesus, to love differently. The new commandment, love like he loved, and he loved by sacrificing. But not just by sacrificing through his death. He sacrificed in his life as well. He sacrificed his time to be with people. He sacrificed his wealth. You know, he could have been a very wealthy guy. He could have enjoyed a very cushy existence on this earth. If anyone could have been like Aladdin and suddenly become a prince and have all kinds of wealth and riches and all of that, it was Jesus. He could have snapped his fingers and just had a phenomenal time here on earth. He didn't do that. He sacrificed the possibility of wealth so he could help other people. He sacrificed comfort so he could comfort other people. One time there was a guy who wanted to become one of his followers and travel with him in his kind of band of of followers. And he told this guy, just so you know, 
Here, I'll tell you how Jesus said it. He said, the son of man doesn't have a place to put his head. What he meant by that was, I want you to understand before you do this, I don't have a home. I don't have a place where I can put my things. Everything I have is right here. This is not an easy life. Are you sure that's what you want? Because there's a lot of sacrifice involved in doing what Jesus did. He loved by sacrificing. And to love like Jesus, we're gonna have to be willing to sacrifice. So it's a new commandment. A new commandment to love like Jesus by serving and by sacrificing. Love your neighbor as yourself is what the law said. But Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. The law said, treat others as if they're equal to you, like you wanna be treated. But Jesus said, treat others as better than you. So what does this look like for us today? How can we live this out in our lives today? It can look like a lot of different things. And you will need to take this and apply this to your life in, in a unique way to you. And spend some time in prayer to think through how does God want you to love other people in your life. But here are some examples. Maybe it means you sacrifice some of your time to serve as a coach in a youth sports league and use that time to demonstrate what Christ-like love looks like and point people to Jesus. Maybe it looks like sacrificing some of your time to help at a homeless shelter or a food pantry or a crisis pregnancy center. Maybe it means taking an hour a week to mentor a young person who needs a role model and someone to listen and care for them. Maybe it looks like praying for people every week and then spending time texting them or, or sending them notes to see how you can pray for them and let them know that you care. Maybe it looks like not taking a promotion that would mean working 80 hours a week but keep you from doing some ministry that you believe God wants you to do. Maybe it looks like watching less TV or spending less time on hobbies so that you can instead spend that time helping other people and serving them. That's a sacrifice for them. That's loving like Jesus loved. If you're a business owner, Maybe it means spending some of your business time, some of your work, doing projects that are actually pro bono for people or organizations that have needs and could use your help. And it's a sacrifice for you to do that, but it's loving like Jesus loved. Don't forget about sacrificing for and serving your family. What do you need to do to show love to them like Jesus loved? Not to treat them like you want to be treated, but to treat them better to serve them, to sacrifice them. Husbands, sacrificing and serving your wife. Wives, serving and sacrificing for your husband. That's how we love like Jesus loved. There are lots of ways to take this and apply it in our lives. And if you're in one of our groups, uh, the group leaders are all going to get, if they haven't already, a list of questions that help us to dive deeper into this issue and, and find out what are some things we can do to be sacrificing and serving like Jesus, treating them as better than us. And this honestly would probably be a good place to stop. And I'm not sure if anybody would be that disappointed if we just said, hey, all right, that's it, we're good. Let's all go our way. But you know that's not what's gonna happen. There's more to this picture. That's a great principle. It's a good conclusion, but it's also a potentially dangerous one. Let me explain why. If we stop right there, although all of that is great, we have covered a principle that is true, but not complete. It is true, but it's not the complete picture. And we do this a lot in churches where, where we'll take one aspect of the Bible and we'll draw it out and we'll make such a big deal out of it that we forget some balancing principles that are also there. Some important truths that we need to keep in mind as we focus on this idea of loving sacrificially and through serving. See, a lot of people could walk out of here with the impression 
That what Jesus wants from you is to serve and sacrifice and love everybody you see and everybody that asks something from you, you need to give it to them and you need to be willing to stop what you're doing right now to help them with whatever that thing is and that's the only way that you're gonna love like Jesus. And we have this incredibly high standard in our minds for how Jesus wants us to treat everyone around us. Maybe not all of us, but some of us really wrestle with how much am I supposed to be sacrificing? How much am I supposed to give away? Where's the balance in all of this? How do I accomplish meeting everyone else's needs to be like Jesus? And I know not everyone wrestles with this in the same way, but if you have the spiritual gift of service or hospitality or mercy or giving, you probably really struggle with this. You are constantly giving and sacrificing and loving people and helping people and you may think that you're doing that like Jesus but there may be a point at which that actually becomes unhealthy for you. There may be a point where that actually becomes out of balance for you. Some of us today need to learn to love more like Jesus, to serve and to sacrifice. But some of us need to make sure we understand what did Jesus show us loving like him really looked like with different types of people in different relationships. Some of us need to learn to have healthy balance and boundaries in our relationships and what that looks like. And the great news is, Jesus modeled this for us brilliantly. Jesus loved everyone, but that love did not look or feel the same for everyone while he was on this earth. Jesus cared for everyone, but he did not get to spend time with everyone. He didn't heal everyone. He didn't rescue everyone from poverty. He didn't have one-on-one discipleship with everyone. See, Jesus said no to people who wanted to spend time with him so that he could focus on the most important relationships in his life. Did you know that? Jesus had healthy boundaries and balance in his relationships. So here are some things that you need to know about what loving like Jesus doesn't mean. Loving like Jesus, first of all, doesn't mean allowing people to abuse your time. Loving like Jesus does not mean allowing people to abuse your time. Everyone wanted to spend time with Jesus. Everyone wanted just a little bit more. Even the people that didn't like him wanted to spend more time with Jesus just so that they could prove him wrong. But everyone wanted to spend more time with Jesus. Thousands of people followed him into homes and on crowded streets and and beside the Sea of Galilee and on mountainsides trying to spend more time with him. And Jesus loved them. And he taught them, and sometimes he even fed them, but sometimes he said no. There were people who wanted to spend time with Jesus that didn't get to. Sometimes people wanted to talk with him or hear him teach, and he literally just left. That happened. There were times where Jesus would get into a boat and just move off the shore to be away from people, or times when he'd just get, up in, the, get in the boat and leave. One time, he got up early in the morning to avoid talking with people and go to a quiet place where he could spend time with God in prayer. And a long time later, the disciples found him and they said, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus said, let's go to the next town. All these people want to spend more time with Jesus. And you would think that the Christian thing to do is to say, well, if you want more time, then sure, here you go. And Jesus said, nope, they've had enough. This is a priority. Let's go to the next town. Here's what you need to know about Jesus that you may have never heard before. Jesus had incredibly healthy relational boundaries. He loved, he gave, he sacrificed, but not equally for everyone while he was on this earth. Different people experienced a relationship with Jesus in very different ways with him. He kept a number of people at arm's length. He didn't spend time with some people at all who wanted to spend time with him. 
So you need to be careful of people who want to abuse your time. People who want to abuse your time don't need more of it. They need to learn healthy boundaries. Number two, loving like Jesus doesn't mean allowing people to abuse your generosity. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus, if he wanted to, could have cured or solved poverty for every person he ever met. He could have just given them a bunch of money. He could have just, bloop, here's a bag of money. There you go. Problem solved, right? Life better. He didn't do that. And not just because he was limiting himself primarily to the things you could do as, a, as an actual person, not just because he didn't want to manufacture money. He had money with him. Remember, Judas was the treasurer for Jesus' ministry fund. They carried money with them. They paid for their food. They paid to, to get resources. They had money. They didn't give it all away. Jesus did not cure poverty for everyone that he could have. That's not what they all needed. And if someone keeps coming to you and demanding that you help them out of a tight spot, wanting you to bail them out again and again, maybe even using Jesus or the Bible as leverage to try to convince you that you ought to do that, you might need to consider whether your help of that person is actually hurting them. You might be creating a dependency on you instead of a dependency on God. You might be teaching them to make foolish choices because you're taking away the consequences for their decisions. So people that abuse your generosity don't need more money. They need to learn to manage what God has given them more wisely. And I want to point out this word, abuse. Because I'm not saying this to give you an excuse to not help people. This is not here so that we can walk away and say, well, I better not create a dependency, so I'm just not going to help anybody. No, most of the time we need to be helping people. We just need to recognize that there are those times when someone is abusing that generosity. And, and we, thinking we're being Christ-like, are just like, okay, here you go. Okay, here's some more. Okay, here's some more. Okay, here's some more. And what we don't realize is that we are actually hurting them in that process. Loving like Jesus does not mean allowing people to abuse our generosity. Number three, and this is where I really wanted to get to today. Loving like Jesus does not mean having the same depth of relationship with everyone. Did you know that Jesus had relational limits he had some boundaries on his relationships. In fact, Jesus operated in five different relational circles that we can see clearly spelled out for us in the Bible. Five different relationship circles that help us to understand what does it mean to love like Jesus when there are so many people to love and it seems overwhelming and how can I do that and how can I accomplish that? What does that look like? Jesus modeled it for us. Let's look at his life and see what he did. Jesus operated in five different relational circles. And you may want to write this down today because the implications of this, though they will be different for different people, there are probably implications here for every one of us and areas we need to work on in our relationships. Number one, Jesus had a public circle. The crowds, the masses, there were thousands of people that were his followers or, or at least were curious were interested. They would show up to hear him speak. Today we would say they followed him on Twitter or on Instagram or they went to some of his conferences. You know, they were, they were curious, somewhat interested. There were thousands of these people. Jesus loved them. He loved the masses. He had compassion for them. But he didn't spend a lot of time with them. Not nearly as much time as they wanted. They always wanted more of him. The public, the thousands of people wanted more time with him. And, and they never had one-on-one -on -one time with him. Jesus did not spend a ton of time with the crowds. One time he literally got in a boat and moved offshore 
so that he could have some distance from them as he was teaching. I mentioned that earlier. But another time, he got in the boat and he just left. The crowd wanted more of him, more teaching, more time with him. And he was like, see ya, I'm going to the other side. I need to get away from this. One time, this is my favorite, my favorite instance. In fact, there's probably some context here that will help you understand a Bible story that you've never understood before. Jesus is next to the Sea of Galilee. The crowds are pressing in. He's just learned some bad news about John the Baptist. Plus, he's weary, he's tired, he hasn't had a chance to eat in a while. And so he and the disciples get into a boat and their stated purpose was, let's get away from these people. Let's get out of here and go to a quiet place. In fact, we're gonna do it by boat so they can't follow us. We're gonna go to a secluded place where we can rest and eat and just have some time together. We need to, we need to spend some, some time together. They get on the boat, they're, they're sailing along the Sea of Galilee, but they're close enough to shore that you could see the boat. And so literally thousands of people dropped what they were doing and ran along the shoreline, tracking the boat visually as they went. And they ran for a few miles or whatever the distance was, and as Jesus' boat with his disciples hit the shore, there were already thousands of people there waiting for them. And Jesus said, well, they're already here, <laughs> so I guess our our sabbatical is cut short and I might as well go ahead and teach them something. And oh, all of these people came here and they left everything and they're, and they're a ways away from home and they have nothing to eat. So I guess I'll feed them. And that's why Jesus fed the 5,000. He didn't go looking for a crowd to feed. He went looking for a place to rest and have quiet. And the crowd happened to follow him there. You might be surprised to learn that Jesus, as far as we know, never baptized a single person. Baptism was a big part of his ministry, but he didn't do the baptizing. In fact, the Bible specifically tells us the disciples baptized, Jesus didn't. Do you think it was frustrating for someone who wanted to follow Jesus to show up and talk to one of the disciples and be like, hey, I'd like to become a follower. Um, I hear there's a membership class and then I'm supposed to be dunked underwater. Can you, can you direct me in the right direction and then I would like Jesus to dip me underwater? And they say, oh, I'm sorry, he doesn't do that. How frustrating do you think that was for some people for whom this was maybe a little bit more about them and not about Jesus? For people that wanted this to be an experience for them, for people that wanted their needs met, that wanted to feel special, that wanted to feel important, to walk up and think, Jesus is gonna baptize me and then find out, nope, he's delegated that to his disciples. They do all the baptizing. The disciples went into far more towns and villages than Jesus ever did. On multiple occasions, Jesus gathered them in a group, trained and equipped them, and sent them out into towns and villages that he would never visit. Most people in Jesus' day learned about the message of Jesus, not from Jesus, but from one of his followers. There was an active multiplication ministry taking place where he was building a leadership structure and sending people out with his message, and most people never got one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus. That's what he trained his followers for, the 12 disciples, the 72 that he sent out, the people that he equipped and empowered to go out there. Why did he do that? Because of scale, because of the number of people. See, as God, he certainly could have snapped his fingers, frozen time, and gone and had a coffee date with every single person that was interested in him. He could have done that. But by limiting himself to the limitations of people, of you and I, he ended up with the same number of hours in the day that you and I have. And so he modeled for us the restrictions and the limitations that we have on our time for what we can do. And so his love looked and felt very differently to different people because he couldn't be everyone's discipler and he couldn't be everyone's counselor and he couldn't be everyone's close friend and he couldn't show up to everyone's events. 
There weren't enough hours in the day. He could not be all things to all people in that way. That's one of the reasons why he sent the Holy Spirit. He said, he said, when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And the Holy Spirit is going to be your personal comforter, your counselor, your guide, the divine presence with you. And guess what? The Holy Spirit scales infinitely. He can be in every single one of you, be that close personal presence to every single one of you that Jesus was not during his time on earth. I think that a lot of us, some of us, have an expectation of other people that they will do for us what we should only be expecting of the Holy Spirit. And for some of us, I think that we place an expectation on ourselves that we will do for other people what we should only be expecting the Holy Spirit to do. There is a balancing principle of what can we do for people and what do we trust and rely on God to do in people's lives. And there is a guilt and a burden that we sometimes take on ourselves with good motives and thinking that it's a good Christian thing to do not understanding that Jesus himself had healthy boundaries and balance in his life. Another circle is the social circle. There were many people who were not just followers in the sense that they followed him around, but they actually became his disciples. They learned from him. The the most famous example of this is the 72 disciples that Jesus trained in a group training and then sent them out to go minister on his behalf. That's beyond the 12, but there were even more than that. In fact, when Jesus called the disciples out, when he went to Matthew and Peter and and John and James and all these different guys, and he called them out, he wasn't calling them at that time to be his apostle. He was calling them to be a disciple, to be a follower. And there were many others as well, hundreds of other people that followed Jesus as his disciples. But one time in Mark chapter three, Jesus went on a mountainside to pray, and he came back and he called his disciples together and he picked from among them 12. 12 people who would get to be his apostles out of a larger group of disciples. That larger group is what we're calling the social circle. These are people that you know, maybe you know on a first name basis, you'll talk to them in a group setting, but they're not someone that you're probably gonna go spend one-on-one time with a lot. They're not someone that you're gonna know really, really well, but they're, they're kind of an acquaintance of yours. In a church context, we would say this is kind of like our Sunday morning groups. If you're part of a Sunday morning group here, they are fantastic because you get to interact with a lot of people. Could be 15, could be 100. And you get this great group of people that that forms connections and relationships that go deeper. But in that context, there are a lot of people there who you're just not going to get super close with. And that's okay. You're not going to be able to be everybody's close, best friend. Jesus wasn't. There's another circle, the personal circle. For Jesus, these were his 12 apostles. 12 men that he handpicked to be part of this special team that he was going to spend more time with and invest more in and teach more and let them see things that other followers did not get to see. And I will bet you, because there was jealousy just among the 12 apostles, I will bet you that among the 72 and other followers of Jesus, there were people that said, "Um, how do I get to be part of that group? Like that's a pretty elite status right there. If I'm following this guy, and I'm giving up my life for this guy, and I want to be his disciple, I want to reach peak status here. How do I get to spend more time with the big guy? And they look at the 12 that were called, and they go, what, did I have to be a tax collector or something? Should I have been a fisherman? Like, was that it? See, here's the thing. Jesus picked 12. He could have picked 20, and there would be people that were upset they weren't part of the 20. He could have picked 50, and people would have been left out of the 50. He picked 12. 12 is a pretty good number. Anywhere from five to 12 people and you can have decent relationships. You can go relatively deep. It's not the deepest level of relationship. 
but you can go deeper than you can with 50 or 100 people. And so Jesus picked 12 to be part of this inner circle. And you and I have a limited number of connectors that we can have this level of relationship with other people. It might be five, it might be eight, it might be 10, it might be 12. Much more than that, and it just doesn't go very deep. Much more than that, and we really don't have enough time to go around. And every new person you add to that adds a new layer of complexity that is factorial. In other words, each new person is a greater burden to the closeness of relationship than, it was bef- than the person before them was. And so we need a tighter circle here, this personal circle of people that we can be close with. In our church, we would say that's like our small groups. We have all kinds of small groups that meet here, dozens of them throughout the week at different times, and a lot, some of them come out of our Sunday morning groups. Some of them are totally separate from that. But it's a chance to go deeper with a group of people than we could with a larger group of people. These are the people that you know you can contact in the middle of the night and they're gonna help you with something. They're gonna come running when there's something that you need help with. But there's an even tighter circle of relationship and that is the transparent circle. See, even within the 12, Jesus had a group of three people who could be considered his best friends. These are the people that he spent more time with anybody else. In fact, there were probably people among the 12 that were frustrated that they weren't part of the three. The three were Peter, James, and John. Jesus spent more time with Peter, James, and John than anybody else. Jesus allowed Peter, James, and John to see stuff that none of the others got to see. None of the other disciples got to see. In fact, some of that stuff comes out in the Gospels. In fact, it's very possible that some of the stuff written in the Gospels was eventually read by other disciples who went, huh, I never saw that. Peter, James, and John were the only three that got to go to the transfiguration to see Jesus transformed. Then he changed back and he went back and joined the other disciples. Peter, James, and John are the only three that Jesus took with him further into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with him. Peter, James, and John were were given extra information and teaching and were able to see things that no one else got to see. Not because this was some kind of clique that was isolated and they were mean to other people, because there's a limited number of relational connectors that we have that we can go deep with. And there's a public circle, and there's a social circle, and there's a personal circle, and there's a transparent circle with one or two or three people that you know you can tell anything to. And they're not gonna judge you for it. They're gonna care for you. These are the people that know your secret struggles. These are the people that you go deep with. You've been through some stuff together. These are the people that could be your lifelong friends. We need people in the transparent circle. But we can't have everybody in there. As soon as it gets beyond four or five, six people, it's not the transparent circle anymore. It's not the inner circle anymore. There is a limit there. Finally, there's the divine circle. Jesus regularly went off by himself to pray. He regularly said no to other people so that he could spend time with God, the most important relationship. And with each of these circles, you will see that progression where people wanted more of Jesus and Jesus said, no, I'm gonna focus on this relationship. The crowds wanted more of him and he said, no, I need to spend time with the this social group. I need to do some training for them. And those people wanted more of him. And he said, I'm gonna set aside some time to make sure I'm spending time with just the 12 because they need some training. We need to do some stuff together that's just the 12 of us. And Peter, James, and John, he said, I'm gonna take you even further and we're gonna go closer and deeper than I can with the 12. That's what Jesus did. And we need to understand this. There were people who wanted more time with Jesus. And sometimes he set up a healthy boundary to make sure that he was focusing on the relationships that mattered most. And the biggest one of all is our relationship with God. If Jesus needed to take time away 
to go pray and spend time with God the Father. How much more do you and I need to do that on a daily basis? Jesus had a healthy balance of relationships. Not everyone was his best friend. Not everyone got one-on-one time with him. He built a leadership structure that allowed him to scale his ministry. He was not going to personally minister to every person, but the, the ministry he built could personally minister to every person. So there are two sides to this new commandment, to love each other. Not just to treat others like we want to be treated, but to treat them as better than we treat ourselves. To serve them, to be willing to do things we wouldn't normally do to show love to other people, especially within the church, especially for other believers in Christ. To be willing to serve them. In fact, Jesus said, others will know you're my disciples by how you treat each other. That's an interesting thing to think about because it means that we have to treat each other really well. Not just people outside, people in here. We have to treat them really well. And then others need to be able to see that How are people outside the church getting a chance to see you treating other people inside the church well? What opportunities are we creating for them as we interact with people in the world and in the church and create spaces for them to see we love each other really well? That's what Jesus wanted, so they would know that we are his disciples. Loving like Jesus also means sacrificing, giving up some things that maybe we treasure, maybe we enjoy, maybe we love to do, whatever it is, so that we can love like Jesus, sacrificing something personally, whether it's money or time, or possessions, or whatever it is. But as you do that, we cannot walk away without understanding that there are healthy boundaries and balance to this. It does not mean just giving everything away. It does not mean just letting people abuse our time and our generosity. It does not mean having the same depth of relationship or or showing of love for every single person we encounter. Certainly we should do what we can, but we must understand that Jesus had healthy boundaries and balance. He didn't try to be everybody's best friend. He didn't put everybody in that closest circle. He couldn't. So understand that you won't be able to either. You have a limited number of relational connectors at your disposal and you should use them well and you should use them wisely. And maybe you're going to walk away from here today and you're realizing that, you know what? The, the transparent circle I've got down, I've got some people close to me in my life, but I've pretty much ignored this one. I don't really spend time with anybody else. I don't, I don't really go to any group functions. I don't, I'm not in the Sunday morning group. I don't engage with anybody there. Maybe that's a, a, the lesson for you today. Or maybe for you, it's, you know what, I'm doing a pretty good job of all of this, but man, my relationship with God, I don't remember the last time I just spent 30 minutes alone with him. Maybe that's the message for you this morning. Or maybe for you, you've got a relationship with God and you're really good here, and maybe you've even got some good stuff there in a small group or something, but there's no one who knows what's going on in your life. There's no one who is that close to you, who knows you truly and can understand what's happening there. And so for whatever God has for you this morning, take that out of here and learn from that and understand how to have healthy balance in the relationships in your lives with healthy boundaries and then love those people like Jesus loved, serving and sacrificing. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? God, we wanna love like you did. It's amazing how you served and and got into the, the mess of life with people and you sacrifice so much for them. We will never live up to what you did and, and there's no way that we could. But Lord, help us to love like you did. Not to treat others like we wanna be treated, but to treat them as better than we treat ourselves. And at the same time, help us to understand what that doesn't mean. That that doesn't mean we shouldn't have boundaries and balance. That that doesn't mean we should have unhealthy dependencies that are created or that we should become exhausted or burned out with the good that we're trying to do. Help us to model our lives after you. 
who at times said no to what seemed like a good thing so that you could focus on the best thing, the priorities. Help us to have those healthy circles of relationships. And in Jesus' name I pray.